Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, everyone. My name is Shiv Rublani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Mary Jo Bondi, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Physician Assistant Education Association, which is the only national organization representing PA educational programs. Before assuming that role last year, uh, Mary Jo spent many years as an academic leader at the University of Maryland in Baltimore and at Anne Arundel Community College and was a practicing PA herself for several years. Mary Jo, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. So you have a really impressive background as both a leader and educator, as well as a clinician. And I just wanted to get in your own words more about your background and your current role at PAEA, as well as the organization's mission. Great. Well, you know, I've been a PA for 27 years. And of those 27 years, I've been an educator for 25 of them. PAEA has been my professional development home and Returning to PAEA in February of this year as the CEO was really a, a great opportunity to bring all of my experience as a clinician, an educator, and a leader in able to serve PAEA. Our mission is to advance the excellence of education, PA education, uh, leadership, and innovation. And so, you know, to be able to lead this organization, uh, to be able to help our over 250 programs and our over 2,000 faculty uh, to provide PA education and excellence in PA education is truly an honor, and I'm humbled by the uh, opportunity. It's incredible. I mean, the growth in PA I've been observing ever since I started my own medical school journey. I'm curious, over those 27 years of your practice, how has the profession changed and how has the PAEA changed itself? It's a great question. You know, at our foundation, PA education is generalist education, and we have not wavered from that. That commitment to generalist education has allowed us to maintain flexibility and adaptability to be responsive to workforce needs, both at the community level, state, and region level. Um, certainly, PA practice has expanded. We now see PAs in almost every specialty. Uh, and we continue in our service at a primary care level and have expanded that role. We also see some changes related to more PAs uh, involved with public health, and we also see a change with uh, some globalization with PA practice. So very excited to see how the profession has changed over the course of the last 27 years. And then we're a young profession, 50 years now. And so we have continued to grow in number and in scale and in the ability to serve our communities. You mentioned that there are 250 programs that your organization represents. Uh, now, when you started, how many programs were there and what is that trend looking like? Well, when I started in PA education and applied to PA education in the early 1990s, there were about 50 programs around. So 50 programs 27 years ago and now 250 programs. So that speaks volumes about the ability of PAs, the acceptance of PAs, the utilization of PAs to expand access to care and meet the needs of a growing population and an increasingly diverse population. We've had the opportunity to get to know a lot of PAs through our work at Osmosis. I've seen a lot of innovation come out of those programs, including um, Yale has this online PA program run by Jim Van Ray, who I'm sure you know well. Yeah. What types of innovations are you seeing in PA education at this time? Well, so COVID has really sparked a lot of innovation, which is, which is exciting. It was obviously born of necessity, 
but certainly Jim Van Ree and the work that they're doing at Yale, uh, providing online education, very student-centric education. We see more of our programs really looking at team-based learning models, problem-based learning models, things that can be adapted to an online environment because of COVID. So there's a lot of innovation at that aspect. There's also increased innovation related to competency-based education, clinical education. We see some of our programs adopting using telehealth and telemedicine as part of their curriculum as expanding clinical uh, instruction. I know at Johns Hopkins University, we, we see medical educators using cameras on their helmets and, and as well as the like body cams to actually have ongoing rounds with students and educators. So innovation is broad and wide and we're learning a lot of how we can train our students to be ready for uh, the kind of experiences that they're having. And one thing I didn't mention to you is that we know that 86% of our academicians and faculty are clinically practicing. So they're not only balancing the challenges of shifting to online learning or um, managing innovation and how to teach, they are also on the front lines, tremendously serving their communities in this unprecedented time, as well as protecting and supporting their students who are experiencing significant anxiety with all of the uncertainty that has been created by COVID. So I just have to give a shout out and recognize them. They're amazing. So you mentioned COVID, and obviously that's what everyone's talking about and thinking about all the time. How has COVID affected the work that your organization does, uh, and what are some of the major challenges it's leading to? One example is uh, we've talked to several nursing organizations and actually getting enough clinical hours when the hospitals are kind of shut down in many regards is tough, especially for certain rotations that rely on elective type of procedures. What are you seeing and what are some of the challenges facing PA education right now in the heart of COVID? So COVID has amplified the need for faculty to be ready to pivot, to be able to provide student-centric learning, certainly in an online situation. Almost all of our programs had to pivot to online very, very quickly. Not all had used online as much as Yale had in the past. Uh, many were still relying more on a face-to-face -face instruction model. So we've definitely seen that and we've been working with our, our faculty to help them support and create quality learning experiences that can be delivered virtually. The other thing is, you know, our students learn a lot of skills. And those are typically um, all practiced and taught in a laboratory environment. So there's clear need for more innovation in that area. But I have been so impressed by our faculty, the um, ingenious ways they've come up to be able to teach and then assess students' growth and understanding of, of how to do some of those skills. Something as easy as history taking or physical diagnosis being taught virtually has been somewhat of a challenge, but you know the faculty are ingenious in their way of creating solutions. And then of course, as you brought up the clinical challenges, the clinical education is so critical to PA education. Typically, most of our students have 2,000 hours in, in clinical in the course of 12 months. Um, with multiple areas of specialty in which they are required to rotate. And so out of an abundance of caution for our student safety, 
you know, recommendations were made much like in medical school um, for students to be either removed from clinical site temporarily to allow first responders and intensivists to really address the acute need of a highly sick and affected population. But then now reintroducing them back to clinical and making sure that they're going on clinicals and are safe, that the educational experience is still robust and rigorous, that they have the appropriate PPE to maintain their own safety and the safety of those around them, and that they're prepared really to um, function in this COVID environment where the epidemiology of this virus is still new um, and not well understood at, at significant depth. So those are things that we saw immediately as an association. And to help our member programs adjust to this environment, we created response forums. So we brought together our academic faculty from across the US. Over 600 participated in a response forum really talking about and sharing problems that they were experiencing and solutions. It was an amazing sharing community. We did the same with clinical. So a lot of the clinical challenges that were being faced, we had response forms for that. Again, over 600 of our faculty participated in that event. And we were happy at PAA to be able to convene and connect our faculty at a time of you know, significant disruption. We're, we were also very lucky that PAA had a robust digital technology infrastructure that had already been developed so that all of our programs could share resources, information, ideas in a secure area. And they took great advantage of of that digital platform. So we were thrilled that they were able to utilize that and that could ease some of the transition for them. One of my favorite PA educators used to be at Wake Forest and now is at AT Still University. His name is Ted Wendell. Um, and um, they're setting up new PA programs in California, I believe. And his vision is to have community-based training programs where, you know, in partnership with the National Association of Community Health Centers, they're able to recruit people from the community and then have them stay in the community to work. You know, I'm curious, is geographic distribution an, an area uh, of concern for PAs where like maybe they get trained in a place and then they go to metropolitan areas? Or do PAs tend to work in the local communities where, where maybe they grew up or, or have affiliations to? It's a great question. You know, PAs were really founded to meet community need and access to care. Um, and so that's in our DNA. We have looked at PA practice and workforce issues, and we do see that there is migration to areas of urban concentration and economic you know, vitality. However, there is a core understanding that PAs were created to meet community needs. And so the innovations that Ted is talking about related to recruiting people from communities, keeping them in their communities to be educated, involving those health systems in, in that education process, and then encouraging them to stay is actually alive and well across the, uh, the US. I will say that um, I know in Maryland, I was involved with on the Eastern shore doing just that, um, being able to help recruit people from uh, the Eastern shore and make sure that they were trained there so that then they could stay in that health system. We know that there is a great amount of uh, research showing that students that have that support during the academic process um, and who are familiar with the health system and then 
who are also recruited from that health system tend to be very successful. Um, so we definitely want to see PAs in community training environments, um, in partnership with the health systems and, and local communities, and then retained in those communities. We see an, a growing number of PA programs in rural areas because the need is so significant. Two other kind of hot button topics in health professions are burnout as well as debt, student debt. And I'm curious, how does your association and the profession as a whole deal with both those issues right now? So wellness is, is a focus of part of the education process, right? We have to focus on both faculty wellness as well as student wellness and really building those skills for resilience and self-care from the very beginning. I know as a program director and certainly um, in leadership, one of the things I often found myself talking about with faculty and students were really taking care of self before they could care for others uh, and making sure that they were self-monitoring their ability to be able to care for others. And, and we see that is so important as we see what's going on with COVID-19 right now, how burnout is being accelerated. And uh, so I'm very concerned about that. And it's something that the Education Association is working to emphasize and provide resources for to help educate students on how to maintain their, their health and well-being throughout the education process and then um, ultimately into their career. The other issue is student debt, and student debt has been steadily climbing. We have some concerns that student debt also um, may restrict the interest of our students of going into primary care or um, specialties that traditionally do not have a higher salary, if you will. Um, so we advocate consistently to be able to reduce student debt or provide aid, oftentimes through the National Health Service Corps and through loan repayment to meet the needs of the most vulnerable. And you'll see our students definitely meeting that call um, to serve in underserved communities. And many of our programs have that in our mission to serve underserved communities. And we work to advocate on their behalf that they might have Title VII funding uh, to help them recruit, retain, and decrease debt of their students. I know we're almost at time, so I guess one core question I'd like to ask, given the the hats you've worn, both in leadership and, and being a clinician yourself and in education, um, is since we, you know, our audience, we have over two and a half million current and future health professional students, uh, I'm curious what advice you would give to them if they're considering going into uh, a career as a physician assistant, especially given all that's happening in COVID. If you could rewind 27 years and you were starting your career, what type of advice would you like to have heard? You know, 27 years ago, I was inspired and encouraged to become a PA um, to help serve the underserved uh, in North Carolina. I have absolutely no regrets on the decision that I made um, to become a PA particular. My PA education has provided incredible flexibility, adaptability, my ability to work in multiple specialties because of my generalist education, uh, then to pursue academics, education, and leadership. So the sky's the limit for anybody who's thinking about PA education. I would say that, you know, your personal goals should align with the goals of the institution that you're looking to join as a, as a student. And then to understand that this career is a lifelong commitment to learning. 
that you will always be learning, you will always be in service, um, and it is truly noble. Thank you for all the work that you're, you and the organization are doing, Mary Jo. It's been such a pleasure having you on today. Well, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to speak with you. And I'm so grateful for your leadership in this space. And, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Same here. So uh, with that, I'm Shivuglani. Thank you again for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Thank you.